Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Welcome to Digital Voices. So a lot of times we talk theory when we hear about digital transformation and patient experience and clinician experience and getting these great ROIs. A lot of it's really theoretical based on some modeling, which is good. It's a good place to start, but we don't hear enough stories of individuals and organizations like First Choice Neurology that are actually doing it. So that's why I was really happy to have Jose Rocha as our guest today, because he's going to share with us like really practical examples on how they engage with their patients and clinicians and the sort of outcomes that they have. So at the end of the day, it really is about outcomes. So Jose, welcome to Digital Voices. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, really nice. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, before we get going, because we're talking about experience and how we digitally you know, touch and reach out, Megan, I wanted to ask you, I know because you've got that great uh, little boy of yours and, and a bigger boy uh, that, you, that you handle uh, on the medical side. How has your experience been with portals? I, you know, I, I know my son has one set up. Um, I don't use it that often. I know I have one set up. I, I rarely use it. Maybe I'll use it to check my labs or something. Um, but it would be great. And I'd probably use it more if I just had one portal. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the portal is a big thing and it makes intuitive sense. And I think there's still some work to be done. And so that's why it's interesting to hear maybe alternative ways that organizations like First Choice Neurology are are pulling it off, still enabling that great experience, but maybe not with such a heavy tech uh, emphasis. So it'll be, that's what we really want to talk about. But Jose, before we get going, people always want to know, the first thing about you is what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, I listen to country a lot. Um, I like country music, but... Uh... I'm a, I, I don't mind. I can go from, you know, the classics, the 60s, uh, 70s, uh, heavy metal. I, I'm very eclectic when it comes to music, you know? Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I'm sort of the same way. I, I can go a lot of different directions. There's not any type of music that, that, really, that, that aggravates me. You know, I, I, just, I like music and I love the creative expression, you know, that people come up with. So what about your life message or mantra? Are there words that you live by and that kind of guide who you are? Keep it simple. I think it's one of my things. I try to make it as simple as possible. I try to work for the averages because if you think about it, yeah, there are people who have an IQ of this and there are people who don't, but the majority of the people are somewhere in the middle. That means not everybody, you know, it's really smart or really intelligent. So I try to make everything as simple as possible um, to make sure it has the greatest adaptation. You know, um, I think if yeah. you keep it simple, then it'll, it'll work easy for people. Yeah. I, I mean, wasn't it attributed to Steve Jobs about taking the complex and making it simple? Exactly. So behind that Mac, behind that iPhone, there's a lot of complexity, but for the end user, like you and I and Megan, we, we, need something simple. Uh, and, and, you know, Jose, I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, a lot of times we get, we know 
because we're in the industry, we're in healthcare and we're in tech. So a lot of these things are second nature to us, but we're not the average when it comes to the consumers of what we're delivering yeah. uh, because we live in it all the time, but it's easy to forget. So oftentimes I have to remind myself like, okay, Ed, it makes total sense to you, but that's because for 30 years you've been doing this. Correct. So you got to think about that person who is only doing this episodically, maybe once a year, once every couple of years, 10 years, and they're not thinking the same way that you are. So you really have to think about, you know, that keep it simple type of mantra. That's, that's so, cool. yeah, that, that's a great reminder and great framework, but Jose, but now our next question for you is I detect an accent. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your story, uh, both personal and professionally? Sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I was born in Nicaragua, came here when I was a little kid. So I went to elementary, middle school and high school here, college, everything was here. Um, I started, uh, working, uh, in healthcare by accident. I was actually in uh, my sophomore year in college studying to be a teacher. And one friend of mine asked me, do you want to work in an emergency room? And I said, sure, why not? You know, I wasn't doing much. <laughs> and I was like, sure, why not? So I went and I started working in an emergency room. Every six months I got promoted. Um, by the time I was about, I was, I think a junior already, um, uh, I was uh, probably making more working at the hospital than I would when I graduated as a teacher. A teacher, so I decided to change my uh, career and go into healthcare administration. Uh, I've been there for the last thirty years now. It's been about twenty something years, or I think almost. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 really cool. I, I I love that. Now I know you also have a master's in. Healthcare law. So, how did that come about? What was your thinking there, and do you, how do you use that in your current role? Um, so, I'm one of these people that um, I like to understand things, um, and I get answers. So, actually, my uh, first uh, degree before I even had my uh, teaching degree, I got a bachelor's in theology because I wanted to know if everything my my grandmother told me about religion was true or false. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that just puts the kind of person I am. So um, when I was doing my, I did my bachelor's in healthcare administration, and then I noticed that every appeal or every issue with authorizations or with things always came back with some, you know, this science thing says you can't do it or not do it. So I noticed the insurance we're using. So I ended up getting a bachelor's in health science so I could understand a little bit more about the science stuff. Um, after that, we were putting a group together of uh, a bunch of neurologists got tired of competing against each other. And they decided, you know, every time we get off of one insurance, the insurance just goes to the other group and does it. So they decided to join together and come together. And as we were coming together, we used to have these meetings at night um, that every the lawyer was there and the accountant there and they used to tell us well you can't do that you can't do this you can't and it was like all these can'ts right and I said, well no you know what that that makes no sense so i said you know what i'm gonna go to law school so i i, I ended up going to um shepherd broad law school in uh, nova um and i applied and at that time they were they i knew i didn't want to be a jurist doctorate i didn't want to be in court i didn't want to do trial i don't like paperwork 
I just wanted to know. And they were doing a right. master's in healthcare law at the time. So I did my, uh, my degree in that at that time, uh, just to, and then all those no's started to become maybes. Okay. If we could do it that way. Oh yes. And they all became yes in the end. So I became educated enough to be able to talk to the lawyers at their level and be able to come, you know, with better conclusions or force better conclusions, I think. Yeah, that's fascinating background. I'm not sure we've had anyone with that background and it makes total sense. And the fact that you're able to leverage it the way you are. So I skipped over that, Jose, in terms of your organization and your role. Can you share a little bit about your role and then maybe a couple a couple uh, things about about the organization in general? Um, well, First Choice Neurology is um, actually the country's largest physician-owned and operated uh, neurology practice. Uh, we have about uh, 38 different offices in the state of Florida. Um, we offer different services from, in, we do infusion, physical therapy, occupational therapy, MRI, and of course, we have our neurologists who see patients all day long. Um, we service about 42 different hospitals in the state. Um, so uh, we do, you know, the emergency calls for all these different hospitals throughout the state. Um, we see about 1,600 patients a day, uh, Monday through Friday, and about 600 on the weekends. Um, uh, we have all the different, from pediatric neurologists to, you know, movement disorder specialists, sleep specialists. Alzheimer's specialists, so all the different uh, neurology subspecialists with subspecialties within the group. And I happen to be the director of the corporate business office, so I oversee the day-to-day -day operations of the corporate office and everything that has to do with, you know, uh, practice operations and revenue cycle and contracting and stuff like that. Um, pretty the last probably year has been uh, uh, very involved in pushing new technology to the practice. I think we're at a crossroads of, uh, you know, when I was starting out in healthcare, EMRs were starting out, you know, it was ever, all the practices right. were transitioning from paper charts to EMRs. And that was daunting. I think now we're at a crossroad where we're getting to, um, automation, robotic automation, and AI automation, um, chatbots, and all of this. And it's, you know, it's been uh, transforming and applying these things in our practice. Um, it's been one of my tasks. We actually hired uh, just recently a chatbot specialist, um, you know, kid that knows how to do this much better and faster and understands this whole thing. Um, to work in our practice to help us understand, you know, and it was very interesting because, you know, in a medical practice, you would think, you know, you hire a medical records clerk or a right. billing person or this, and you have your one IT guy who does IT, you know, but no, we actually went and uh, after having chatbots for two, three years, we actually went and decided to get a person who specialized on this um, and can take us to the next level. That's really cool. That That's very unique. And I think you all are trendsetters because I think there's going to be more of, of that in the future. And I, I think you're right about that crossroads. So yeah, I definitely want to talk about some of that, right? So our audience is largely chief digital officers and 
and CIOs and other, you know, clinician leaders, operational leaders that are all interested in digital transformation. So what's what's fun about you and, and the research that I've done in your organization is you're actually doing it, as we talked about uh, earlier. So that's that's pretty cool. So I know that there's a couple different ways that we could talk about this and sort of sort of talk about what you're doing and what the outcomes have been, you know, so I know from a patient experience, I think a clinician experience, and then sort of that operational experience. And I would love for you to share, and I'll re-ask you the question so you don't have to remember all this, but I would love you to share like one or two examples of what you're doing. So do you want to start with uh, patient experience? Like how have you leveraged this tech capability to enhance patient experience? So we started with this uh, chatbot uh technology about three years ago, um, uh, 2019, towards the end of 2019, looking at it. And we were trying to figure out, out a way to communicate with our patients and engage with our patients in a bilateral or by a, by two-way communication. Because currently the patient portal allowed us to communicate with them, um, but it wasn't instant and, you know, it was like an email. You send an email, you get an email. It wasn't like a chat that we could have. Um, we wanted, um, when our patients um, uh, did telemedicines, that we could send them all the orders that they needed if they needed to have an MRI or something. We wanted to prep them better for procedures um, if they were coming in for a procedure and not have to waste the staff time doing that. Um so all these things led us to this uh, technology that we use now. As far as the patient experience, I mean, I think it's been very interesting. Some people actually don't even know they're talking to an automated uh, thing. They just think it's somebody texting them. Um, other people, um, you know, are kind of weird out. And other people appreciate it because they're so like, they don't want to talk to anybody. They just want to get to it and... So it's, it's been uh, interesting, um, especially with our population where we deal with Alzheimer's patients. So sometimes we're not dealing with the patient itself. We're dealing with the caretakers. And this has allowed so many more caretakers to be part of the encounter or the visit. Um, that has been a blessing for many families as far as, as we're concerned, as far as they're concerned, because... Um, our current, when we started do, using REHR for telemedicine, it wouldn't allow for other members to be there. It was just one person. This, uh, this, this technology allows us to communicate with the patient, allows us to talk to the patient, allows us to send automated messages to the patient. Um, and they're very interactive. Um, so it's, I think, improved the patient experience. And reduce some of the staff burden for sure. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So you're actually getting outcomes from uh, from your investment that are helping on the patient experience side. What about the clinician experience? Has the t- sort of technologies that you're deploying is it helping? You know, you read all the time about clinician burnout and things like that. How how is it helping the clinicians? You know, I would say for the majority of the clinicians, they don't. Some of them would not even know it exists. Others won't know it until they use it. And the, the, the point when they came to use it was, um, you know, when we have so many different offices, you might have an office that, you know, one, during COVID, they were getting COVID. So the whole staff would have to go or something like that. Um, 
you know, the whole staff would get sick or something. So we were able to co- cover that office remotely. Um, you know, I was, we, our corporate staff was covering, was checking in patients and checking out patients from 90 miles away. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was actually, it allowed them to uh, have, not even have a front desk staff at their location. You know, Im- imagine getting there and the only person there is the doctor. And the people who are taking care of you are doing it either through your phone or through a computer on the screen. And there happened to be 90 miles away. Um, that allowed us to do a lot of flexing when we were having, you know, uh, during the pandemic and we were having people out for extended times. Yeah, that I love that use case. And you can still do that today. It doesn't have to be during a pandemic, but you could cent- certainly centralize operations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've 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 done it uh, uh, several times afterwards. It's now our. I would say that before we used to think, you know, what's the solution to this problem? And now, usually, the first thing is, can the chatbot do yeah. this? You know, yeah. or, or can one of these, uh, you know, robotic process automation can can it do this? And I and we're like, oh well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So yeah, so what's the impact been operationally? So you're responsible for the for the operations there at, at the corporate entity, and you've alluded to it already. So operationally, what are some of the benefits? And did you know everyone talks about return on investment? Did you actually experience a re- true return on investment? Just tell us how it's impacted operations. Oh yeah, I mean we we've experienced some return on investment that wasn't even expected. Uh, we literally just wanted to communicate with our patients, so that was the right. goal. Uh, and we wanted to do it in a cost-efficient manner and be able to communicate with them, get get the orders to them, make sure that uh, that we had a way to send orders back and forth and just, you know, be able to talk to our patients remotely. Um, it th- That was the goal. What ended up happening is a lot of the patients, so we started doing all the pre-registration ahead of time, you know, so patients started showing up at the office. And if you've ever been to a doctor's office and it's your first time, you know yeah. what you do. You give your cards and you they give you a clipboard and you sit down and you fill it out. And that takes 20 minutes. I don't yeah. care how fast you are or how slow you are. The average is 20 minutes. And again, we're talking about the averages. So some people, yeah, they might be able to do it in five, 10 minutes. Some people will do it in 20 people and some people will do it in 40 minutes. Right. So you have some you have you have sometimes doctors that are waiting for the patient because he's still filling out paperwork and that creates an avalanche of you know one and two and three it's a domino effect so uh we saw that all these patients were now being registered and as the compliance rate grew I, i'm not going to tell you that on day one 100 percent of our patients were doing it but i could tell you this in our first location that went up right now about 90 percent of the patients are doing it so that one location has experienced a reduction in overtime because the staff is not having to stay uh, there longer. Um, some of the staff has actually told me that they are actually enjoying their lunch because they can actually go to lunch on time. I've been told that, oh, I don't have to pay for the extra money at daycare because I don't have to stay, you know, I'm staying here later and having to pick up my kid later. Um, and then besides that, uh, some of the physicians and providers were able to add patients to their schedule because they weren't calculating for that time that the patient was wasting outside. Now the patient comes into the office and everything's done. 
cards have been scanned already into the system, uh, forms have been signed, everything's been filled out. So you basically go from, hello, Mr. Rocha, walk into your exam room and you go directly to the exam room. Um, some of the doctors added one to two patients uh, in the morning. Uh, others uh, in, uh, added also one to two patients in the afternoon. And others just decided, you know what, I'm going to get home finally for dinner time, you know, and they they've used that last hour now to, you know, just accomplish whatever uh, paperwork they had to do, whatever forms they had to fill out, and they get to go home at a decent time, which it's enjoyable for them. You know, it, it improves that uh, burnout that we talk about a lot with the physicians. Um, so so it's been uh, a rewarding experience. Um, some of the docs uh, have had an increase in their revenue because of this, uh, because they're adding these extra patients every day. Um, and, you know, it has helped streamline the way the uh, whole workflow of the office is, where you're not having all these, you know, I always hated that we, in medical office, we're probably the biggest wasters of paper. We, we print something so a patient can fill it out so we can scan it back into the system so we can throw that piece of paper away. So all of that has been eliminated. I think Staples must miss how much paper we used to order uh, and how much, how much little paper we're ordering now. Um, so all of this has been a, a great change to the organization. No, when, that's why I wanted you as a guest because when I heard what was happening at First Choice, Neurology, I was like, is this real? Because you, what you're talking about is things that we talk a lot about in the industry, as you know, because I'm sure we attend the same conferences and read the same things, and, and, but very few have achieved it. And you know, the fact that you have 90% uh, adoption, at least in, the, in one of the practices, uh, that people would, you know, they, to have anything even over 50%, you know, is impressive. And, and you're at 90%. And, um, yeah, it, it yeah, it, it's been rewarding. But I, I, I can tell you, it's like uh, some of the doctors keep telling me, "I know you're trying to change me from a dinosaur to, to bring me to modern technology," and and you know, it's been like, no, we're just trying to make things more efficient, more streamlined. Um, you know, and and it's 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 been rough and hard because it's the thing about taking that paper away or changing that habit. That's the hardest part. Yeah, I want to come. I want to come back to that, but you know, I was just visiting my PCP recently because I had my annual physical, and I and I won't pick on him because I I love my organization, I love my PCP, and so I won't mention who it is. But this is a organization like many around the country that have spent millions and millions of dollars on technology, have an office for patient experience. You know, all those major major investments. And I'm a good, you know, because I do have this tech background and I was part of de- creating what they have. I use the mechanisms that they have and I'm diligent and I upload all my insurance information and I, and I check in virtually and all that kind of stuff. And they know that I'm there because they have that capability to know that I'm in the facility and I have that turned on and they still hand me a clipboard. It just, it just beyond, it baffles me. It, it just baffles me. And Again, nothing negative against that organization. They're the average, many organizations like that, but you're, you're doing something special. So yeah, let's talk about barriers. So, so you've mentioned one already, right? The hardest part always, always is culture. 
And uh, you overcame that probably through showing by examples, right? You probably had some early adopters and they were getting these great outcomes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, physicians are competitive by nature. So as soon as I tell them, yo, your buddy over there is doing it, you know, and they're saving this much um, and their overtime is down and their revenue is up and they've been able you know, as soon as they start hearing that, they start competing. So I just let them, I, I help one and then that one helps me push all the other ones. Um, uh, that, that's been one of the ways, but it's also about showing the staff the benefits uh, of it. You know, when you can tell the staff, hey, you, you're going to be able to uh, enjoy your lunch because you don't have to be here sending yeah. documents back into the system just to have them shredded afterwards. Um, you know, your patients are going to be happier because they're just going to come in and go right into the exam room. They don't have to wait 20 minutes in the waiting room. You know, there is no, you know, and even if the, the, you know, they're waiting for all the new patients to fill out their paperwork and then the whole schedule gets behind, the follow-up patients are just waiting because the rooms are filled now with the people that were supposed to be in the rooms an hour ago. None of that's happening, you know, um, but it takes a little bit of, you know, for them to try it out, to see it. Everybody's always scared, I think, of technology, like it's going to bite you or it's going to show something, you know. Um, so we always make everybody go through like a mock case of them, like test it out, try it. Um, that was That's really helpful because we also get a lot of good feedback on how to change things, um, you know. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that approach. I mean, it's always like, in both examples you were sharing, whether it's cultural or showing the benefits, it's, it, it comes down to, yeah, if people see the outcomes, then they're likely to make a change because they, they, they see it. So Jose, I know there's a bunch of people listening that would die to have the sort of stats, the sort of engagement, both the, the patient engagement that you have, the employee engagement and the clinician engagement. If you were to give one or two pieces of advice, let's say Jose, you went to a new organization uh, that was sort of, they have a portal and all the other good things going on, but they're still struggling, you know, to make it happen the way that you, you all make it happen at first choice, uh, neurology. What, what would be one or two things that you would advise them to do first? Uh, be engaged. You, if you're going to buy something, if you're going to use it, you know, it's not like when we were kids that we got a new toy, we played with it for two weeks and then we left it there. And then, you know, I, I mean, my kids had growing up, uh, my kids are grown now, but Growing up, my kids had so many toys and you saw that they their faces lit up on day one and they played with that game for two weeks. And then after two weeks, it was gone. It was like that. Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of us uh, in the organizations, we just get these toys and we're focused on it on two weeks and then we just let it go. You know, um, so I think part of it is just focus on it and commit to it, you know, commit to it, work at it. Um, I think it, I mean, it, this was I'm not an IT person. I'm not a computer person. I'm not somebody that loves, uh, you know, writes code or does any of that. Um, and I think part of the, the that's part of the problem. We get scared by the technology. We just got technology and we committed to it. Um, for the first two years, we didn't even have an interface between the technology and our EHR. After two years, we realized, okay, we're committed. Uh, we're going to do it. And, and we got an interface. Um, and it's even better than it was before. But part of that is our commitment. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we hired a kit 
that can do that can write code and does the chatbots and can do all that technology. And he loves, he gets all geeked out about that. So <laughs> it's, it's our commitment hasn't stopped. And, you know, I, I keep telling him every time I see him, you know, I'll, I'll put you in the garage in the back if you want. You know, I want Steve Jobs and, you know, uh, Bill Gates, <laughs> you know, make us weird, you know, make us right. different things, you know. Um, and, and that's what I want. I push us to try new technology and find new ways to be more efficient. No, that's great. And we could go on. I, I didn't even get to most of my questions, as you know. I, I really wanted to talk about leadership because a lot of the things that you're talking about really come down uh, to leadership. And obviously, you're working closely with with your your vendor partner to make sure that you have you know what you need and support. And can you can you share share how how you work with your partner to make sure that you get what you need for your patients? Like, are, are you able to? Um, are you self-sufficient? Are you able to go back and ask for things? We, I mean, it, there's nothing, I, 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 I mean, like any medical practice, I have a lot of vendor partners, okay? Uh, and that's like probably saying we have a lot of friends, but we probably only have like two or three that are real <laughs> right. friends. Well, that's the same thing. I have many vendor partners, but my real partners are probably two, and I would consider um, this one of my two yeah. partners. Uh, I mean, they're really uh, receptive to everything we talk out we sometimes I know I push them to do things um, you know when I started um, in 2019 there weren't a lot of practices doing uh, any chatbot technology any automation any AI um, and recently I I went and saw a practice in Arizona that was doing it and I was like man this is really good this is better than what I do so I went back to my vendor and I said, hey, can you do what that vendor does? And, you know, and, and they listen and they're working on it. And, you know, they but um, anytime I, I come, I see something or I come up with it, I meet with them and I tell them, can we do this? I mean, sometimes their technicians look at me like, <laughs> but, you know, they, they're willing to listen and work. And I think that's very important. You got to be partners with the technology. If you're not developing the technology on your own, then you have to be partners with whoever is developing that technology. Totally. No, that, that's a really good point. So we'll have to have you back, Jose, because I want to get into all sorts of leadership things. And obviously you're a great leader given the results that you have and just the, you know, the, the way that you've, you've shared a lot of your insights uh, today. What's, is there anything I missed or anything you want to double down on as we close out this edition of Digital Voices? Well, I just say be committed to, you know, um, the, the horizon, whatever is coming up new. Learn. Um, don't be scared. I, I think that would be my uh, and always keep it simple, please. You know, don't keep it yeah. simple. I think in that and, and that would be my mantra. Keep it simple and keep not, not to be afraid of technology. Yeah, the, that's a really great way of summarizing, Jose. Thank you so much. It's so interesting what you're doing at First Choice Neurology down in Florida. And, you know, you're an example, which again is why I wanted you on, of an organization that's actually doing it, leveraging technology, fulfilling the promise of technology. You know, we, a lot of people talk about it and there's a lot of theory and it's good because you got to have the science and the research and the theory, but you're actually executing at a, at a super high rate. And 
I, I, I really applaud you and your entire organization for the success that you've achieved. And if I ever need a neurologist and I was in Florida, I know exactly uh, where I would go and, uh, and who I would hang out with as a friend. So thank you, Jose, for being part of Digital Voices. Thank you. All right, that wraps up another edition of Digital Voices. Hey, I know you have a choice in what you listen to. I really appreciate you being a listener of Digital Voices. And as always, thank you, Megan, our excellent producer. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.